your farm and your future matter to us. Welcome to Dairy Stream, a podcast focusing on opportunities and challenges impacting the future of dairy. This podcast is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations fighting for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Joanna Guza. It's great to have you joining us on Dairy Stream today. Our focus is on how USDA generates dairy reports and the impact it has on dairy markets. We have two industry experts with us today. You can check out their full bios located in the description, but our first guest is Greg Bussler. He's the state statistician for the National Agricultural Statistics Service with USDA, and he's out of Madison. Also with us is Chuck Nicholson. He's the associate professor in the Department of Agricultural and Applied Economics and the Department of Animal and Dairy Science at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So we're excited to have their expertise with us here today. The first part of our episode is going to focus on what is the National Agricultural Statistics Service, or you'll also hear me refer to it as NAS, and how are the dairy reports analyzed? So Greg, if you could kick us off just providing an overview of the work of the National Agricultural Statistics Service and how it generates its dairy reports. Sure. The National Agricultural Statistics Service, or NASA as acronym, is the data collection agency for the USDA. Its mission is to provide timely, accurate, and useful statistics to U.S. agriculture. NASA conducts hundreds of surveys every year and prepares reports covering virtually every aspect of U.S. agriculture, production and supplies of food and fiber, prices paid and received by farmers, farm labor and wages, farm finances, chemical uses, and changes in demographics of U.S. producers are only a few examples of the data we collect. Every five years, uh, NAS conducts a census of agriculture. NAS uh, conducts uh, four main surveys throughout the year that produce results specific to the dairy industry. These reports include January livestock, quarterly milk production, prices received, and dairy product surveys. The January Livestock Survey is conducted every January and about 41,000 cattle operations nationwide are contacted to provide information about beef and dairy cattle inventories, calf crop and death loss. The report primarily establishes milk cow numbers for the year. The survey is voluntary and results from the survey are available at the end of uh, January and it was uh, just released on the 31st. The quarterly milk production surveys are done in January, April, July and October. About 16,000 Wisconsin dairy operations are contacted for the survey. Producers are asked questions about number of milk cows, number of uh, cows milked on the first day of the survey month, and milk production on the first day of the survey month. This survey is also voluntary. For non-quarterly months, milk production is modeled using check data from outside sources. Prices received in dairy product surveys are conducted every month. Milk processors and dairy plants are contacted to provide information about milk they receive, prices paid for milk, and types of dairy products produced and amount produced. In Wisconsin, dairy plants are required by law to respond to the survey. Going back, Greg, you mentioned that 1,600 Wisconsin dairy operators are contacted for the survey. How are they selected to participate? We send a letter to them and along with a questionnaire, and they can either fill it out online or send it in the mail. And if we don't hear it by a certain point in time, we'll uh, call them on the phone to collect the data. 
Okay. And also I know with, with EDGE membership, we do have people that are outside of Wisconsin, um, but also just interested how other regions handle this. How are the surveys done in other areas around the country? In other states, uh, dairy product surveys are handled the same way, but reporting by plants is voluntary and not required. And non-response by plants in these states can impact the quality for dairy products. And for the uh, milk production surveys and the January livestock survey, those are pretty much uniform uh, throughout the U.S., the way the data is collected. Greg, with all the reports that the National Agricultural Statistics Service does, which report from the dairy community is most anticipated or popular? I guess it depends what vantage point you're looking at and so on. The requests I get most often are the most inquiries about from the media and uh, different journalists are the number of dairy farms, milk production, milk per cow, and milk prices. Uh, The media and the public are paying close attention to the the economic health of Wisconsin dairy farmers and the future of the dairy industry. Many of the questions focus on what has happened to the dairy farms, the number of milk cows, and annual production over the past 10 years. For example, in 2011, milk production in uh, Wisconsin was 26 billion pounds, and in 2021, production was 31.7 billion pounds. In 2011, the average number of milk cows was 1.3 million, and the same in 2021, while the number of milk cow herds dropped from 11,786 on December 1st of 2011 to 6,572 uh, milk cow herds on December 1st of 2021 in Wisconsin. Well, thanks for sharing that insight. That was Greg Bussler. He is with the National Agricultural Statistics Service, but sometimes we hear these numbers and we're like, wow, that's that's just a lot of numbers. But we have people like Chuck Nicholson, who is also on the line with us. He's the Associate Professor in Department of Agriculture and Applied Economics and the Department of Animal and Dairy Science at UW-Madison. You know, Chuck, when you hear these numbers and you see the reports from NAS, what reports do you anticipate? And can you kind of walk us through how you review and analyze them? Sure, happy to do that. So I'm totally in the mode of being a user of NAS data, and I would say they're really important, not just for people like me, but for decision making throughout the dairy supply chain. I mean, these data support decisions by dairy farms and their cooperatives, uh, dairy product companies and the government. So they're a real valuable resource also for researchers like me. So my work at UW is a bit less focused on sort of tracking market developments day to day or in the shorter term. So I usually access NAS data when I need them for some specific research type project. Uh, But actually that happens pretty frequently because I use NAS data, particularly on things like milk production, milk prices, dairy products and cold storage, pretty much for every project that I, I would work on. And as one, one example, and this goes back now a couple of years, the NAS data were really crucial for helping us understand the impacts on the dairy industry of the closures that happened under COVID in 2020. For example, we saw about a 10% drop in, in the production of the other cheese category uh, throughout the U.S. in April that year compared to what we might have expected. And there's also a corresponding increase in butter production. We also saw changes in the amount of product that was in storage. And those values actually really helped dairy markets in general to understand kind of the impacts on the food service sector 
and the retail demand for dairy products, which was kind of crucial for thinking about what would happen next as the as the pandemic played out. So again, very useful information for me and for other decision makers in the industry. Right. You know, it's funny when I when I look at my friend group, it's people like Greg and Chuck that I want to make sure are part of my friend group because you guys are very uh, intelligent in, in reviewing this kind of information. Chuck, can you share how are the reports used to determine dairy markets? Probably not just one way in which that's done, but I guess what I'd say is that data from NAS are really central to the industry's assessment of the kind of the current state of dairy markets and particularly then where they might go in the future. And so most of us realize we're kind of in the middle, maybe getting towards the end of the outlook season where a lot of analysts are projecting the state of the dairy economy during this coming year. And when they do that, they nearly always include as key pieces of information uh, the NAS data on things like milk production, cow numbers, milk per cow, quantities of dairy products, input costs, and the amount of product that's currently in cold storage. And those are some of the things that Greg had mentioned. These data really provide an important starting point for annual projections of prices, particularly important at the farm level, and profitability. And those are key inputs into a a lot of different farm uh, and processor decision-making. So they also help us, again, to evaluate the likely impact of uh, market shocks. Uh, We can think about a lot of news coming out of California recently about first there was major drought and then there's major flooding. If we didn't have kind of the timely data from NAS on uh, production in particular, uh, it'd be hard to assess how big an impact things like those weather events would have on a key dairy production state and that also would set the tone for kind of dairy markets uh, throughout this coming year. Another thing that's actually really kind of important is that NAS data on prices and costs are also used uh, for decisions about the use of risk management tools, uh, including uh, one of the main government programs, the Dairy Margin Coverage Program, which uses NAS data almost exclusively to calculate that program's margin value that results in a potential payout to producers. So. And again, just to come back to what I do, uh, NAS data are a real key resource for me to evaluate kind of the patterns over time that can help us provide insights about future uh, developments in dairy markets and therefore future decision making. So again, really helpful information. Like you said, emphasizing those long and short term. I mean, I feel like over time we've always wanted to know the long term trends, but with events like COVID and, and now these droughts, we kind of need some of those short-term data. And I think back to when COVID first started, that's when Dairy Stream first started. And we kind of turned to Dr. Mark Stevenson and said, okay, what's happening? You're getting all these reports. <laughs> tell us tell us the, tell us us the, the story. And thankful that we have the expertise at the UW to help us with those kind of situations. So clearly this is an important function that we probably take for granted and lucky to have here in the United States. Chuck, if you could share, how do other countries in the world do their dairy reporting and why is it beneficial to have such a transparent system? I would say that U.S. dairy data collection systems, including NAS, are really among the best in the world. These data obviously are really pretty important for supporting decisions, and that's one of the reasons that we put in place the resources and the expertise like Greg's to help us have that access to information. Uh, The information systems are much uh, less well-developed in lots of other parts of the world. And as one kind of example, a metric that I use that's important for the work that we do thinking about global dairy markets is whether we have uh, access to sufficient data to develop what we call a supply and utilization table. 
sounds like a kind of fancy term, but really a uh, table like that just accounts for all the sources like farm milk and the uses of dairy components, like they're processing into different products. And typically we would do that for an entire country. So as one measure of the uh, lack of developed infrastructure for dairy data in other countries, there's only really a handful of countries or regions like the U.S., like Canada, some of the key dairy producers in the European Union and other key dairy uh, exporting countries like Australia and New Zealand that really have sufficient data to develop a reasonably accurate summary of that kind. Uh, for other countries of the world, the data are often really missing and inconsistent. Uh, we found that in some of the work we've done trying to evaluate global dairy supply chains. And in particular, the data that seem to be missing there are things on the amounts of dairy products and the amount of product in inventory. Uh, so I would actually go so far as to say that the, the lack of those data is actually starting to be a major challenge for understanding kind of the evolution of global dairy markets. Uh, and in, including the potential for export opportunities from the U.S. Chuck, is that kind of like we're not comparing apples to apples anymore because we have our basket, but the other countries maybe don't have it all in line? Yeah, there's there's a few other countries that we'd put in our basket with apples and everybody else <laughs> is kind of in a completely different fruit category. How, how would we overcome this challenge? Well, one of the ways that people are trying to overcome this challenge is through kind of uh, non-government data collection. Uh, so there is an organization that's based out of Germany, but with a worldwide network called the International Farm Comparison Network. And so they have reached out to dairy researchers and dairy analysts in a number of different countries, and they actually try to access information through those people uh, rather than relying specifically on government statistics. Um, and I think it's it's really an imperfect substitute. It's a useful thing, uh, but it's not quite the same as having the full and complete resource investment like we have here in the U.S. Right, and I, I feel like the dialogue right now is around dairy exports. So it's really critical that we start to get a system figured out now, so you know, into the future. Greg, I'd like to follow up with you, kind of wrapping up this first portion of Dairy Stream. From your perspective, how have you worked with other countries with dairy reporting? I don't really get involved that much with other countries and their data and so on. Um, I guess basically having a good data set like an accurate data it helps in trade negotiations with other countries and that type of thing selling our products in foreign markets and it also helps in important in policy decisions like uh, Chuck mentioned earlier as far as COVID relief for uh, dairy farmers and making dairy products available for food shelves and those types of things that's where having accurate dairy statistics are important and it uh, helps uh, with the farm bill which is coming up what's the best way we can benefit dairy farmers what policies will help them and that type of thing so uh, that's why it's important to have good data so good decisions are made that was the voice of greg bustler he's the state statistician for the national agricultural statistics service also with us is chuck nicholson he's the associate professor in the department of agricultural and applied economics and the department of animal and dairy science at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. The second portion of Dairy Stream is going to talk about some of those main points that Greg just highlighted, kind of the, the uses, the changes, and the future of dairy reporting. So make sure you stay with us. We will be right back with Dairy Stream after we hear from our sponsor. 
Because of the cynical and sometimes volatile nature of the dairy industry, it is critical for producers and agribusinesses to have a reliable financial partner they can rely on through unpredictable business cycles. Our agriculture specialists at BMO are well-versed in all facets of the food continuum, from inputs through retail and distribution, and they're ready to provide the financial solutions that will allow you to improve your cash flow management, minimize your risk, and capitalize on growth opportunities. To learn more about how we can help, visit bmoharris.com backslash agriculture. Thanks for sticking with us. The Dairy Stream Podcast is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. The second portion is going to focus on the uses, changes, and future of dairy reporting. We have Greg Bussler. He's the state statistician for the National Agricultural Statistics Service. And Greg, can you share how USDA and you know policymakers in particular utilize the NAS dairy reports? The data from the reports is used by policymakers in making decisions about assistance uh, for milk producers in the Farm Bill, uh, food assistance programs, and insurance policies. Uh, policy decisions will be made with or without data, so it's in the producer's best interest to respond to NAS uh, reports. During the last price downturn, I received calls from many Wisconsin legislatures about dairy numbers so they could develop policy and assistance uh, for Wisconsin dairy farms. I think the key thing you said was with or without data. So it is very critical right. that they are participating. If you could speak personally, I mean, you've been with NAS for over 33 years. What is your involvement with the upcoming census that is due soon? And how is it utilized? And share a little bit more about the importance of the census. One of my primary jobs is to encourage farmers to complete their census forms. What makes a census unique from other NAS surveys is that it is a mandatory survey and required by law. So that's kind of the encouragement farmers get to participate on it. I'm also involved with uh, editing the raw data as it comes in, analyzing uh, census data before it's released to the public. And then after the data is released, I do presentations about uh, what's in the census data and make it available to State Department of Agriculture, media, universities, those types of things. And could you share what defines a farm that has to fill out the census? Sure. A farm is any operation that produces $1,000 a year or more of agriculture products or normally would have or receive $1,000 a year or more in government payments related to agriculture, such as CRP. So someone that has CRP-only land would qualify as a farmer. And I'm curious, Greg, with just technology getting a little bit better, what has been the response rate? I mean, I know you say it's required by law. What is the response rate with the census? Sure. Our uh, response rate currently is about 30% in Wisconsin, which is fairly good since we're fairly early in the data collection period. Wisconsin ranks third in the U.S. as far as response rate. We're behind Illinois and Iowa. Our uh, two neighbors have a better response rate. And typically, it's kind of interesting, states in the northern part of the country typically respond better than states in the uh, southern part of the country on the census. And overall, NAS tries to get for a census around an 80-90% response rate. And and this is me, I mean, just always thinking about how we could improve the system a little bit better. And could something with the census be associated with, you know, because I just think about the workload that happens with, with farmers, is accomplishing it during tax season or, 
you know, when they're filling out their taxes, that some of that information is already inputted into the census so they don't have to fill out everything. Would that ever be a way to solve to maybe get a higher response rate is trying to tie it into something else that they're already doing? It would sound like a good idea, but uh, <laughs> I, I think there's a little bit of uh, trust issues there because a lot of uh, farmers are hesitant. We don't share, NAS doesn't share our data with anyone outside of NAS. Uh, we keep everything internal and only publish uh, county, state, and uh, national statistics. We don't publish anybody's individual results, and we don't share that data with IRS or anything like that. And I think a lot of times farmers are skeptical, they are reluctant to report because they think we'll share their information with IRS and we don't do that. So that's kind of why we don't want to go down that of merging uh, the data. Got it. And that, that makes perfect sense. That was the voice of Greg Bussler. He's with the National Agricultural Statistics Service with USDA. Also with us is Chuck Nicholson. He's the associate professor in the Department of Agricultural and Applied Economics and the Department of Animal and Dairy Science at UW-Madison. And Chuck, I find it interesting with your work focusing on supply chains. Has the NAS reports helped with challenges in the supply chain? Most definitely. I think they help us understand a lot about the developments in dairy supply chain because you really need to think about that supply chain as really being a linked set of different businesses, all of which are really kind of important. I mentioned a previous example where we talked about the use of NAS data on milk production, milk prices, and quantities of dairy products to help us document uh, what happened during the initial stages of the COVID pandemic. And in particular, that was important to think about the developments along different parts of the dairy supply chain. But I guess one thing I would say is that also the NAS data give us a basis to then add uh, to our understanding because they provide us with some core data. Uh, but we can actually use those data when we go out and talk to other folks in the industry. And actually, we did this in the case of trying to understand the impacts of COVID. When we talked to folks who are managers at dairy cooperatives or at dairy processing companies to sort of understand their management responses. And having the NAS data really helped us to put that into a context that uh, we could relate to folks and have them talk about how they responded. Uh, we actually ultimately wrote up some things that we think may be helpful for making the whole dairy supply chain a bit more resilient when there are future shocks. Uh, let's hope there's no future shocks that look a lot like which happened with COVID uh, a couple of years ago. But it got people talking about things in a way that we couldn't have gotten them talking about without having access to those uh, NAS data. One other example that's actually a little bit more recent and maybe a little bit more forward looking is uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier my colleague Mark Stevenson, who is now retired and lives happily in northern Michigan, but he and I recently used NAS data on milk production, cow numbers, milk per cow, uh, product in cold storage to help us do an economic analysis of the dairy supply chain, focusing on how the value of milk uh, at the farm and at plants is different in different locations throughout the U.S. I think that's going to be an issue that comes up in subsequent discussions here when we start thinking a little bit about the Farm Bill and when we start thinking about whether or not there are going to be any changes made to uh, federal milk marketing orders, uh, particularly those things that we call the Class 1 differentials, the additional amount that's paid for beverage milk. Uh, so those are a couple of examples where the supply chain uh, was much better addressed. The issues in the supply chain were much better addressed when we had access to the NAS data. And now when I've, I, you know, we've heard more dialogue around the talks of blockchain, you know, with the supply chain and, and just having more transparency. 
Is the NAS data keeping up with some of the innovation that's happening within the supply chain? Uh, yeah, I guess I would say I think the available information through NAS is still as relevant today as it has kind of always been. I think where a technology like blockchain comes in is it's actually better at keeping track of the information that we might think of as more proprietary that people don't want to share. Uh, Greg had already just talked a little bit a minute ago about uh, sharing tax information across government agencies and how that could be sensitive, but uh, a lot of company information is proprietary. The nature of the transactions is what you're protecting when you use a technology like blockchain. Greg, you have over 33 years of experience at NAS. How has NAS kept up with the agricultural changes in collecting data? Uh, basically, by the questions that we ask on our survey, they're relevant to today's ag agriculture. We only ask farmers questions that are useful to policymakers and the industry. In the past, a large majority of data collection was done in person. Now, NAS collects data online. Uh, in fact, on the census of agriculture, we're encouraging farmers to respond uh, online, collect data over phone, by mail, or in person. Uh, we try to make the data collection as convenient as possible uh, for the respondent. And uh, we also use data from outside sources uh, to set NAS to help uh, reduce uh, respondent burden. So trying to make reporting as convenient as possible for a producer. Could you share some examples of some of those new questions or relevant questions that you've added to the census or even some of the other dairy reporting just to keep up with times? Sure. Basically, the types of questions that are basic and we'll be asking that we asked in the past, but are currently asking and we'll ask in the future is basically inventory information, production in information and prices received, uh, those types of things. Those are uh, basic data that analysts like uh, Chuck need to do forecasting and things like that. And I don't see those uh, things changing or we might get into some uh, different areas as in the environmental and renewable energy. We may opt surveys to ask questions like that. So, but the basic information for supply and production are always going to be the same, whether it's dairy cows, crops, or other livestock. Right. And I know when I, I got the opportunity to talk with some NAS employees at the National Farm Broadcasters uh, Convention, and they were even mentioning how broadband, some of the, the tools that farms are needing uh, to improve their operations is another key aspect of the question on the census. Chuck, what trends from the NAS survey are you keeping an eye on in the future? There are a couple of things that I'll be paying particular attention to. Uh, one of those is the margin of milk price over feed costs. And you can think about that as one, one example that's kind of the dairy margin coverage calculation. And I'm watching that in part because it's a real key indicator of economic health in the dairy industry. Uh, but also kind of from the longer term perspective of a researcher, we've done some recent work that showed that uh, even though we've seen really big up and downs in milk prices and feed prices, there hasn't really been much of a trend in that basic margin calculation for more than 20 years. And so that's suggesting that we probably need to do a little bit more work to understand what, what exactly is going on and why that happens. Also, second thing is a supply chain analyst. I'm pretty interested in kind of understanding, uh, I, I mentioned a number of times, kind of the quantity of dairy products that we have in cold storage during inventory, and especially for butter and cheese and kind of relative to what we think the sales of those products are. 
That's kind of important because it provides some information about future price movements. Uh, typically, when we see lower inventories relative to demand, that suggests that we're going to see some price increases in the future. But also from a longer term perspective, it tells us something about the inventory management strategies that dairy companies are using and also probably suggests something about the resilience of the dairy supply chain. So when we have more of those stocks in place, we can be sort of less concerned about a shock having a big impact in the markets. So those are a couple of things that I'll be watching here, particularly as we move further on into 2023. Chuck, I just imagine me being a student in, in one of your classes. You said milk price over feed costs is an indicator of the health of the, the dairy industry. Why is that an indicator? Not looking for a crazy long answer, but <laughs> why do you look at those two pieces to know the economic health of, of the dairy industry? I guess first, uh, the the milk price is something that a lot of folks pay attention to. Uh, And as an example, as we headed in the last months of 2022, we saw really very high uh, all milk prices as reported by NAS. But that was actually then somewhat offset by really high feed costs. And for most dairies, feed costs, purchase feed costs are a really big component of their overall cost structures. They can be 40 to 50%. And so, as a basic indicator of kind of how much margin there is in dairy, looking at that milk price and looking at those feed costs gives us a relatively simple starting point that we can apply across a bunch of different places here in Wisconsin and throughout the U.S. So, that's why I would say that that's kind of an important indicator, although we could also get much more detailed and think about the farm financial records that folks keep uh, and use for management decisions. Well, we're glad to have Greg and Chuck on our team talking about the USDA and how they generate their dairy reports and the impact that it has on dairy markets. Our guests today have been Greg Bussler. He's the state statistician for the National Agricultural Statistics Service and also Chuck Nicholson. He's the associate professor in the Department of Agriculture and Applied Economics and the Department of Animal and Dairy Science at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm Joanna Guza. You've been listening to Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, email us at podcast at dairyforward.com.